Hello and welcome to One and Done TV. I am the first of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I'm competing to be also the first of your co-hosts, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows and sometimes entire networks that only lasted one season. Isn't that right, John? That's right. We are doing a very, very, very quick dance on the graves of these shows uh, and looking at what they did what they left behind, and ultimately, what made them one and done. Today is the first day of Quibuary. Ian, happy Quibuary to you. And a happy Quibruary to you, too, No, we're not doing that. I made up this month. We are calling it Quibuary. It is not Quibruary. And it isn't this one or fewer things, either. We're calling it Quibuary. I trademarked it. At some point, I realized I did make the mental adjustment to add the R into when I say February, because I didn't when I was a kid, but now it does sound weird for me to say February. I don't do that anymore. Okay. Well, I'm a gentleman. But this is Quibuary, a glorious month in which we examine the life, love, and death of the very short-lived Quibi streaming network. We're going to be breaking down Quibuary into four distinct genres of Quibi shows, competition shows, drama shows, reality shows, and comedy shows over the next four weeks. Today, we're tackling competition shows. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about what else we're watching that's longer than six minutes long. Ian, what are you watching? You know, I didn't watch this recently, but I think I'm going to. Um, I was listening to an interview with Jack Black, and for some reason, the movie The D Train popped in my head. And I was thinking about when me and you saw that at the Logan Theater in Chicago when we lived together. And I just wanted to shout out the D-Train. I love the D-Train. It's just him and James Marsden. And they both went to high school together. And Jack Black wants to be cool. And James Marsden is cool. Oh, And I won't tell you anything else about it. Just go watch it. That is a completely forgettable movie for me. I honestly didn't remember that that existed. That was a Sundance movie, too. Was it really? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But you loved that movie. Did I? I I don't... I I might have enjoyed it in the moment, but it has clearly had zero staying power because this does not happen to be very often. You'd set a title... And there was nothing in my brain. Wow. Absolutely nothing. That's such a fond memory of mine. We both went and saw it together. Like now that you say it and when you said Jack Black and James Marston, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the memory is fond. The movie itself, though, has uh, been lost to the annals of time uh, for me. What did you like so much about it? Because it's funny. But if you recall, there is a sort of shocking twist in the movie? Kinda. Really? You don't remember? Dude, it's this quite is a, a twist. Oh, man. this It is... goes from being like funny to being like a great nuanced comedic performance by Jack Black, who is a funny character, feeling very real emotions. You don't remember that? Nah. Oh. Yeah. Sh- honestly, I think you liked it, and I think you'd like it again. Uh, me and Natalie sat down to watch it a couple years ago. And it is worth it, baby. Uh, What have you been watching? 
I would love to bring up a show that was developed as a Quibi show, but is now airing on Peacock. Actually, it just ended airing. Paul T. Goldman. Have you Mm. started watching it yet? No, I haven't, but I will this week for sure. This is a bit of a tough one to explain. So essentially, it is a documentary about this guy who claims that his second wife was essentially running a prostitution ring and was also involved in child sex trafficking. However, it unfolds in this very peculiar way. So he wrote a book based on his experience of it. And then he wrote a screenplay based on that book. (laughs) So what the show is, is it's part documentary about this guy and his story, but also part the movie that he wrote while also being part the making of that movie. It sounds way more meta than it actually is, and it makes a lot of sense when you watch it, but it is riveting and hilarious and cringy and surprising. And it was originally developed for Quibi, and then Quibi went under, and now it's on Peacock, and all six episodes are streaming now. It's very hard to describe, and I, it's one of those things I just want to talk to everyone about it. Isn't um, it the guy that directed Borat as well? Borat 2, yes. Jason Walden. Okay. Yeah. I know he was still involved in the original Borat as He well. was also like a Nathan For You segment producer as well, so he really knows how to take very interesting angles on how people react to certain things. And the work that he does here is masterful. It is very entertaining. There's a lot of bleed over with those creative crews there because like Nathan Fielder directed and produced like Sasha Baron Cohen's America show that was on Showtime mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So, I mean, those people do what they do better than anyone else. So there's a lot of trust that's involved in a production like that, too. So I'm yes. sure you want to work with the same people over and over again, because, again, you have to have this big vision of what this could be. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of disparate parts that make absolutely no sense together. But the way it is edited and the way it unfolds is just so interesting on so many levels that it truly is hard to describe in a few sentences. And speaking of trust, in those productions, there are only two ways that things could go. Either you're all going to get arrested or it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! In April of 2020, the world was falling apart. So it was the perfect time to introduce a brand new streaming service to the world. Quibi was the brainchild of former DreamWorks CEO Jeffrey Katzenberg. It is focused entirely on content that is shorter. Ian, can you tell me, like, what is a Quibi? Oh, well, a Quibi is when there's an intruder in your house and you go to get the only weapon you can find, which is your kitchen knife, and you realize that it has been dulled because you've been cutting cans. Close. Very, very close. But a Quibi is actually a unit of entertainment that is less than about 10 minutes. And Quibi, the platform, was designed to bring in a bunch of these creative minds that were going to develop things that were meant to be short form just for your phone. 
we're going to break down the sort of journey of Quibi, the Quibdesy. What's the combination of Quibi and Odyssey? I don't know. Uh, the Quibtionarian? The Quibtionary? The Odyssey. I think I think Odyssey is the best I'm going to do. But I'm trying to do Wikipedia or something with it. So I'm, <laughs> we're not aligned at all. No, but we'll get there. We'll get there. But neither were they. They were not. But we'll talk about the origins of Quibi today, and we'll talk about the rest of its journey over the next few weeks. But to kick things off, Ian, I downloaded Quibi day one. I don't know if you know this. I was a day one quibber. Did you have a relationship with Quibi before, uh, like when this was starting back in April of 2020? Uh, no, I had an aversion to Quibi right from the get-go because I knew it was content made for your phones. And I know they gave Kevin Hart like $50 million or something crazy to uh, start making Quibi content for them. I know that like they first started out with like a billion, $1.5 billion or something. And they were just throwing money at celebrities before it even started up. I thought that all of the content on it was going to be shot upright for you to watch on your phone, though. It was actually a innovative way to shoot and package technology. So, as you said, it was designed to be exclusively on your phone, but they were going to incorporate a technology that would allow you to either watch it upright or in landscape mode. And basically what you could do is you could have it upright in front of your face. And if you turned it, the aspect ratio would switch with you. So it was very unique for the time because it was so adaptable. And that was honestly one of the big things that it was being sold on. Oh, so now when we watch it on Roku, we're only seeing it in widescreen. Absolutely. Yeah. But Quippy was this thing that really blew up in Hollywood very quickly. It was founded in August of 2018 as a company called New TV. Then they switched it to Quibi a couple months later. It was built on this dream of what if we were able to create high quality original content that was just for your phone, using it to reach a younger generation. And the name Quibi is a condensed version of the phrase quick bites. But they ended up raising... $1.75 billion from investors. That's not crazy to me at all. I mean, it's it it feels like to old people the future. Yeah. Right. I get that. Yeah. Jeffrey Katzenberg made a huge name for himself at DreamWorks, as I just mentioned. They brought in Meg Whitman as their CEO. She worked at Procter and Gamble and General Motors and Hewlett Packard, so she was a you know big business mind, and yet it still crumbled in this huge and explosive way that we'll get more into. But there were so many people that bought into Quibi, like Disney was involved in Quibi, Fox, NBC, Goldman Sachs, MGM, Warner Media, Viacom. It seems like every major player in Hollywood was. On that Quibi train, which, if it is true to Quibi's brand, was very, very tiny. I mean, were you like me where you saw this for what it is and knew that it would never succeed? Yeah. Or did you think maybe this could be something? No, I thought it was going to 
burnout in a spectacular fashion, but it was an interesting launch package, which we will get to in our next installment of the Quibstery of Quibbrewery. Good enough for me. <laughs> but today we are talking about specifically some of the competition shows. So we've got two for you today. We're going to talk about Game Show and we're going to talk about Floored. But as a genre, Ian, I don't think we've ever like talked about competition shows. What are your thoughts on them? Do you watch a lot? No, I mean, growing up American Gladiator, um, I think Ninja Warrior's cool. Um but I got to say, I can't think of any comp. Like, I watch a lot of game shows or trivia shows, but not many where. Well, oh, okay. Well, I guess RuPaul is a competition series, isn't it? It is. Uh, I never really got into The Bachelor or anything. But you are a big Jeopardy fan. That is like the big. That to me is one of the defining points of your personality. That's true. I own Alex Trebek's book. I look up to him. I even as is, he has great diction. Uh currently. Currently? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was just such a calming presence to me in my high school days. I'd get home, I'd watch Jeopardy, I'd take a nap. It was great. And uh yeah, I guess it is a competition series, but I guess I just think of game shows as being kind of different. But it's still people competing to get a prize in that way. But it's interesting. I feel like Quibi competition shows were meant to bring out that sort of like passive competition. Ah, whoever wins, wins kind of thing. Whereas the shows right. that I was invested in and still am are sort of long form, you know, one team gets eliminated every single time until we're down to one. So that way you sort of get more emotionally attached to the people that you are watching on the screen. But those are two very different perspectives that we are coming at this from. Oh, absolutely. I mean, also your parents are like way into the bachelor and everything. My dad so is way into the bachelor and he fast forwards through a lot of it though. Yeah. But still like he keeps up, you know, like, I can't even think of anything like that in my household growing up. It just wasn't, it's not really a big part of the fabric of my entertainment consumption. Yeah. Amazing Race became a big part of my entertainment consumption for the last like two years. Elise and I watched probably about 28 seasons of The Amazing Race over the course of like a year and a half. Oh, Great British Baking Show. That's the only thing I watch. In addition to Jeopardy and Drag Race and the other ones that you said? It's more like Natalie is constantly watching Drag Race. So, of course, I'm going to watch some too. And it's cool, but it's like candy for my eyes. I, I can only handle so much in one sitting. Well, speaking of candy for your eyes, let's take a quick commercial break. And we will be right back to break down game show. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. The first of the competition shows that we are going to tackle is Game Show, with an emphasis on the gay in terms of the title. 
G-A-Y-M-E show with an exclamation point. Quibi launched on April 6th of 2020. Game show launched right along with it. So this is a show that is kind of like the Jeopardy trivia style show that we were talking about, except it is all about gay and queer culture. It is hosted by Matt Rogers and Dave Mazzoni, two comedians, one of which my wife is obsessed with, and it is not Dave Mazzoni. Ian, what did you think of these two as hosts? Oh, they're great hosts. And I think they used to date or at least have hooked up before. They made allusions to that throughout. Yeah. Right. I think it's just sort of the queer culture thing of like, oh, you can just assume we've all hooked up with each other at some point. Either that or they actually dated. I don't know. But, you know, they had uh, great chemistry. I assume that they've hosted live shows together before. They're very natural on stage together. Uh, They're definitely seasoned live performing comedians. And this is a competition show that I feel like would feed off of a live audience that they were sort of performing in front of during this time because it was pre-COVID when they filmed this. I was wondering if this came out of a live show that they did before and then it got ordered to small series or something. It does feel like something that was pitched that way as sort of an established property in the sort of UCB comedy scene, especially when we see Mm -hmm. who was populating the judges and stuff like that. So Game Show is a competition show that pits two straight men against each other to figure out who will ultimately be honorary. Say it with me, Ian. Gay Gay as as They will also be named queen of the straights. And in order to do that, they need to participate in a few competitions. I really liked this setup. It's a show when you only have a competition show that lasts about six to eight minutes, you need to come out with a lot of energy. And I think these two did it with a plum. Yeah. Plus, uh, it's very colorful. You know, there's singing in it. They have a singer that they throw to to introduce each segment. And she's very loud, proud and over the top about it. You know, like it's a big show that blasts you with a lot of energy and all the senses except for touch and smell. (laughs) Von Zell Solomon is the singer that Ian is discussing. She is the one that is off the stage she has some amazing riffs um my goodness could uh, that woman belt ian do you have a good von zell solomon impression game show yeah you gotta get a little bit more in there let me try to do the the uh theme song hold on two straight men but only one will win whoa game show something like that hold your applause hold your applause so the show has two straight competitors that are paired up with two gay lifelines and the joke that's said every time is or two life partners and so it's kind of like the straight person has a gay consultant there with them that also judges them and one of the running jokes is like Part of queer culture is those closest to you will turn on you. So (laughs) in some of the competitions, they're helping them. And in some of them, they're judging them. Right. Yes. 
Yes. And uh, like the first episode, we have Bowen Yang and Alana Glazer that are paired up with the, the two contestants. Because there's always one member of the queer community and also one woman who gets it, too. <laughs> so they didn't necessarily need to be queer. There was also like Darcy Carden was a guest, Nicole Byer, Rachel Bloom. Decidedly straight women, but they are a part of gay culture and therefore they have been given the responsibility to judge. That's right. That's right. So we have three competitions per episode. Two of them are always the same, the first and the last one. The second one is always different. So the first one is always celebrity essence, where they give you three distinct descriptions uh, and then they're like, hey, what celebrity are we talking about? Like, the first one is who's a golden retriever. A horny golden does push-ups. retriever. Oh, thank you. Who's a horny golden retriever that does push-ups. Clap push-ups. And will give you a... <laughs> <laughs> they're, very, they're very specific. Yes. There's a difference between and, push-ups and clap push-ups. I will stand by this. And give you a hearty handshake. A really hard handshake. Okay. Did you get any of these celebrity essences? Because I was trying to play along and there were times that I could and there were times that I could not. Well, right. The editing of this show, because it's only seven or eight or six minutes long, uh, doesn't really give us the time that I think the performers had to think about it. Mm -hmm. Um especially when me and you are busy taking down notes of what the clues are. I was getting strong Jodie Foster vibes an episode earlier than they were like Francis McDormand, or we also would have accepted Jodie Foster or Holly Hunter. Yes. And it was so weird because the episode previous to that, me and Natalie had just talked about two out of three of them. And we're <laughs> like, okay, we're on the, we're on the right wavelength. We know what they're doing here. Uh, there were a couple surprises to me or like the one that was right on was like Tyra Banks. Oh, really? The top of the food chain, Harvard Business School, and bursting out of their own birthday cake? Yes. I thought the one that was spot on was the Madonna one, which was an eye patch, grills, like for your teeth, and the Vatican. Yeah, that's, that one was so crazy. Well, it was more like a funny reveal to me than it was right on, but I get what they're saying. The one that actually I got instantly, and I was very proud of myself, was... Bell-bottom jeans, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, and pronouncing Anne Hathaway, Arne Jonovan. And I was like, yes, that's John Travolta. See, I was going to bring that one up too because I've seen that clip before. I knew it was a specific person and I could not think of who it was. But because of the other two clues, I thought it was going to be some older woman that had had a lot of uh, like facial cosmetic surgery that's funny when i was watching with elise i think she went down the exact same thought process but you you didn't watch adele dazim that incident live i didn't watch it live i've seen the clip i just couldn't remember who it was oh no well that's adina menzel and then the joke is that he would pronounce anne hathaway arn jonovan see this is the oh. thing about jokes is that it's great when i explain them to you no 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 i had just taken the anne hathaway of it all as truth i didn't realize that it was a slant on it nah. i've seen the clip that's my point <laughs> you're a part of the zeitgeist 
Okay, John, I have a little competition of my own for you. I want to play one and done show essence. And that is I'm going to give you three clues that all amount to a show that we have already reviewed. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm as ready as I could possibly be. Wonderful. So we've got an empty pint glass. Okay. Running mascara. Ooh. And family therapy. What show am I talking about? Cracking up. I was going the Duchess. Oh, yep. Okay. I get that. Which I believe is also our least listened to episode. <laughs> <laughs> because that show is so under the radar. It's very memorable, but it is nobody's heard of it. And uh, I figured you wouldn't get it. Catherine Ryan would have been a good uh, sort of woman who gets it on game show she would have done really well on the show but she actually does shows like that right like yeah she does the big fat quiz of the year and like yeah Yeah. all those other you know countdown or whatever they're called in she would have fit right in absolutely so the second slot of game show after celebrity essences was always sort of a grab bag that was more of a performative thing ian what was one of your favorites of this sort of second slot game um i liked gay oregon trail (laughs) more as a concept than the way they did it but it was very funny it was basically like each of the hosts are two different types of people that you might meet at pride and they give you two scenarios that you have to uh choose which one of them you're going to follow and if you choose the right one or the wrong one you either lose health or gain health i i suppose like uh like an oregon trail the goal is to stay alive so you are going to follow the decision that will get you there so dave right. mazzoni would be the sort of safe one to be like hey let's go hang out at the capital one hydration station and matt rogers would be like it's 9 a.m it's time to do molly choose and so they right. need to be choosing which was the best for them Exactly. That was like a really fun, creative, dumb thing. All these competitions are subjective. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it was, they would give out points at will being like, that was a really bitchy comment. 100 points to you. You know, like it's, it was, it's one of those competitions that uh, they just crowned somebody at the end. It didn't feel like (laughs) there was a clear winner too often. No, Uh, but but that was a fun game where they just found their reasons to give out points and made up this weird health diagram that went along with it. It was one of the more complicated ones that they'd done, but it was just very goofy. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite? The one that I gravitated most towards was the Respect Kirsten game where each of the straights had to go out and list as many things that they respected about Kirsten Dunst as they possibly could in like a 30 (laughs) second time period. And so one of the things that was essential is you had to mention that she was in drop dead gorgeous, but you know, she also won the best kiss for the MTV movie awards. She had her first kiss with Brad Pitt, but one of the straight guys that did it, his first thing was that she had a messed up tooth. It's like, that right. is not respecting Kirsten Dunst, sir. You need to sit down. I do want to give a <laughs> quick honorary mention just because I love the scene was there was an acting 
challenge. There was like an act off in the, for the scene from Notes on a Scandal. Ian, do you know this scene? Do you remember Notes on a Scandal? I have not and do not. Oh, man. my It's a great one to look up on YouTube. It's Kate Blanchett and Judy Dench yelling at each other, but Kate Blanchett is just on like a knife's edge. And at one point, she just yells, what do you want to do? Do you want to f*** me, Barbara? And it is, <laughs> oh, mwah, chef's kiss. The Kate guy Blanchett. that went all out in that scene did do a really good, funny job. I really liked what he did with it. I, I did really appreciate it. Speaking of going all out, the show would always end with each of the straights making an entrance. Exclamation point after make, exclamation point after Anne, exclamation point after entrance. So they would come out in these outfits, do a little potential routine runway walk, and then they would go back to their seats. Uh, were there any that stood out to you from this group? There was one that was like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde sort of thing <laughs> where he drank a potion and turned gay, I think. I think he just kind of turned into a monster. I don't know. Oh, yeah, you're right. I think that's <laughs> why it stuck really... out to me because a lot like... There were two ways to go. Some people went like over the top, strippy, dirty, dancey, showing off their their tuchus, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of humping the ground. And others would just go a different direction. Like, actually, I think my favorite one was Josh Gondelman as Santa Claus <laughs> uh, with like a snow under his hat reveal, throwing out candy to everyone because it wasn't overtly like... I'm here and I'm wonderful. You know, it was just teddy bear gay. And I appreciated that. Yeah, that was a really great sort of subtle nod to Sasha Velour from Drag Race, who during the Drag Race finale lifted up her wig to let rose petals fall down her face, which was, and I don't say this word lightly, but I feel like I've said it a lot recently, iconic. One of the ones that I really liked, I really liked uh, Max Silvestri's, which was sort of in that strip category that you talked about, where he came out as a monk swinging sort of, what is it called? Like It's like incense. Incense. It's, Thank uh, you. Yeah. And he took off his thing and he had stigmata on his hands and immediately went into a crucified pose. It was sacrilegious as all hell and honey, he worked it. I really enjoyed it. But then each... Uh, episode would end with one of the straights being crowned and just like the straights were crowned i think it's time for some dunzo awards these are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch it could be the best it could be the worst it could be the gamiest it could be the showiest whatever it may be we have decided to give these shows their just desserts for quibi since everything's a little shorter, each of us get one Dunzo Award per show. Ian, what is your single honorary Dunzo Award for game show? My Dunzo Award is the Party Game Award, which goes to mostly the second segment of the show. Um, but I'll also give to Celebrity Essence, uh, Gay Oregon Trail, one of them was like a political debate where they uh, made them debate sort of just like a fun topic. And the segments that they came up with in the show, 
I don't think they were all overt winners, but I do think a lot of them would work well as party games. Yeah. I think that Matt and Dave should just package these games into little um, Jackbox type things that they can just sell because they're a lot of fun. You can see uh, how you could do celebrity essence like over and over again. You could yeah. apply it to different things too. Uh, I think Gay Oregon Trail, you could probably go farther with. And then even just some of the like, take a line from a movie and read it dramatically, you know, stuff like that. I I think they did a really good job at finding fun games that kind of anyone can enjoy. And uh, I think they should just go off and make some money with that. They should executive produce uh, their own type of Jackbox. Yeah, I have a Broadway like, game that's sort of like move through your career on stage and there's a lot of those sort of fun interjections like do a dramatic line reading you know say a sonnet something like that one of my favorite memories from it and she's going to be horrified that i'm telling the story but elise when we were playing it one time at her parents house there was a thing where you needed to make a grand entrance in order to get the card and it was when her parents dogs were smaller like yeah, puppies. And they were very afraid of this uh, cardboard box that was sort of a partition between two of the rooms to keep them inside one section of the house. And so Elise, as part of her entrance, was jumping over that box. However, she missed. And she kicked the box straight near one of the dogs who was absolutely terrified. And so what she was supposed to say was, I'm here or something to that effect. But what she ended up saying was, I'm here. So sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it was, it was magical and not too traumatizing. Right. Uh, hope you send that prenup, John. (laughs) She's going to hate that you told that story. What's your only Dunzo? My only Dunzo award goes to, BB Rexa, which means salutations in the best way possible. I really liked that at the beginning of each of these episodes, Matt Rogers and Dave Mazzoni, the first thing that they would say was some sort of, uh, you know, beloved celebrity in the queer community. So they would come out and say like, Rita Ora, everybody. And Rita Ora, as everyone knows, is queer for, okay, gorgeous. And I just loved the sort of cycling through of those. The thing that I really liked about the show in particular was structurally it was very similar from episode to episode, but the specifics that they would get into both in the judging and in the competitions themselves, I think really elevated it to make it not feel as repetitious and consistently entertaining. Yeah, it's interesting that it's one of those shows where like you don't win an award, you just have fun along the way. You know, and I think that you have to be a very entertaining host in order to pull that sort of thing off. Yeah, I thought that Dave Mazzoni was good and I thought Matt Rogers was exceptional. And I think the thing that sort of stands the two apart is that Matt Rogers, I feel like, always makes a choice. And I really appreciated that. It could be big, Mm. it could be small, but whatever it is, he's always doing something. And that just kind of makes him a more magnetic presence on the stage right 
Well, John, then that leads me to the question, would you renew? I would renew. I think that this is a really fun concept that they executed very intelligently. And it plays, it's kind of similar to how we talked about Q-Force when we did that a few months ago. It's a show that plays into queer stereotypes without making fun of them. It sort of elevates and honors them. And it is also done just in a very funny and entertaining way. So yeah, I really enjoyed every single episode of this. Ian, would you renew? I would not. And I was very on the fence of this with this because it's a very fun show. I think it's a little gimmicky. Uh, I know part of that is like with the with the editing and the way with they have a lot of constraints, like for sure. But overall, I think that Goofy has a shelf life. The show is very Goofy. And I can't think of a lot of shows where like part of the premise is they take new comedians every episode and they kind of give them a stage in order to just look how crazy we're being, you know? And I just can't think of a lot of shows like that, that actually succeed. The one that I I'm thinking of is at midnight that lasts the longest, but even then it was like four seasons. Um, It reminded me a little bit of like, do you remember bunk when we reviewed that for the first time we did one and done? Yeah. Hosted by Kurt Braunholer, right? Right, right. Where it's like, these shows are like, look, we have these scenarios and we're going to get comedians up there and they're just going to be be all zany. And I just don't think that lasts super long. I think it gets a little bit old. Having said that, I did think it was a lot of fun. I did think it was very funny. And if I was going to uh, take any points away from the actual substance of the show is I think you can give these two hosts a show that has a little bit more impact the way a RuPaul or other competition series have. Like there's not a lot of room here for uh, sincerity, which I think they, I think it wants a little bit more sincerity in order to make the goofy stuff more palatable. It's very rich and dense right now and sugary. And uh, I, I think they could do something similar. I just don't think that this is quite it. See, I think that's interesting because I get what you're saying about when you have something that's so tightly edited, it sort of cancels out any ounce of sincerity. Mm -hmm. However, I think that because it was edited to a T, it, sort of elevated the comedy of it because it was able to move on. And again, that maybe speaks to just sort of what I appreciate out of TV comedies, which is something I know that you don't as much, uh, or, you know, at least the types of shows that I think are some of the best in yeah, terms for sure. are, are very tightly edited and don't leave much room in between jokes. And those jokes are done well. And I think that right. the sort of short form, element of this actually elevates that a little bit more because it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think that if you let it breathe a little bit more, it doesn't land as much on the just pure entertainment front of it. Mm. 
I was thinking this is a great stage show that they could do for years, right? Like yeah. it can be a really fun cabaret that they do at a theater in New York that seats a couple hundred people even for dinner and drinks, a really fun night out. I think that watching it episode to episode uh, has a bit of diminishing quality to it. And I couldn't really see making this a half hour either. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to like about it. I say if you can find, like, go out and watch this. You know, these segments could be great YouTube videos, you know, like I could see a lot of the things in here going viral. As far as being an actual TV show, though, it just doesn't quite bite for me. Um, plus, I got to think that this this is one of those instances of this was canceled and they're going on to bigger and better things. Yeah. And I think they both have and they both will too. So yeah, this is like a great audition for something bigger, which is, which is awesome. That's a nice Um, optimistic perspective. I enjoy that. Oh yeah. Like I don't, I, it is in no way bad by me saying I wouldn't renew it. Uh, I just want to make that clear. Fair enough. Well, let's take a quick commercial break and we will be right back, right on the floor. And now a word from our sponsors. A few weeks after Game Show ended, we got floored. A dance competition show meets Wipeout. Yes, that's right. It was a dance competition show that was intended to not see the best dancing and instead intended to hit people with giant objects. Ian, what are your feelings about dance competition shows in general? Um, I mean, I guess I've only watched, uh, what's the documentary on Netflix about the cheerleading? Cheer. Right. But that's like more of a documentary than it is a competition show. You know, like I actually, I grew up dancing and doing a lot of musical theater type stuff. I did, jazz ballet tap modern uh in college you know so just those I two know a thing or two no 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 jazz comma ballet comma tap comma modern gotcha period <laughs> uh, <laughs> so watching a show like this i can watch it and actually kind of study what it is they're doing right and wrong and who has good form and who doesn't so I mean, that's cool, but I don't get a ton out of dance competition shows. What about you? Yeah, I like to see some things when they are impressive, but dance just as a medium, I don't know, doesn't really connect with me. So unless it's like acrobatic or incredibly skilled, I just don't necessarily feel that sort of gravity towards it. Kind of even at like the ballet. I've talked to Elise about this a few times, but I can appreciate the ballet, but I just don't get like emotionally invested in the ballet i know what you mean that being said floored is nowhere close to ballet what floored (laughs) is is essentially a mario party game where you have dancers that are on a platform that moves on sort of a central point uh so it's able to sort of go up and down and uh, shift on its corners right it tilts around sort of at different uh angles at different speeds i assume there's somebody controlling these tilts yeah with a remote control yeah 
and it's very similar to like those mazes that you have like when you hold them in your hand and you're trying to work a ball through a maze yes that sort of thing but with people dancing on top of it and you also have what the show calls perils these are things that are meant to throw or knock the dancers off during their 60 second routines Right. So this could be either a blown up picture of an iPhone that is like styrofoam or something like that, and it swings at them. Or this could be a large dollar bill in the same shape, which swings at them. Or this could be a globe, which swings at them. Or it actually, that one went in kind of a circle, like like how the earth rotates around the sun. I don't think they put that much thought into it. <laughs> I think they did for that one, if you can believe it, because that was the only one that went around the stage as opposed to just through it. Uh, there were some music notes. John, did you catch that these, there were a couple other different perils, but really quick, these swinging ones, did they seem heavier to you in the earlier episodes and then lighter by the time we got to the end? No, weirdly enough, I feel like they were always pretty light. I mean, this globe and these balls that you're talking about, I mean, they look like those kind of big balls that you would sort of push around with your classmates in elementary school, gym. Like, it feels like they've got that sort of mass to it, which feels really heavy to about a seven-year-old. But when you're an adult <laughs> and you actually have a wingspan, it's a little bit more difficult to see them as legitimate obstacles. But they did pack a punch. They bumped off the stage some of these five foot three petite girls who are trying to uh, dance some hip hop. But these six foot five dudes wearing all denim, you know, they would just bump off of them like flies, right? Flies on a cow. I do need to say that I don't think you've ever sounded whiter than you said than when you said dance some hip hop. Dance some hip hop, would you, son? Yeah. Would you pop that lock for me, young man? Those kids there up there dancing their hip hop, spinning on their cardboard with their boom boxes. I'm trying to get some sleep and drink a tall glass of milk. Gur, gur, gur. Floored was hosted by Liza Koshy, who is a YouTube personality and has the energy of one for sure. Uh, She comes out swinging at the top of every episode. And every time that somebody gets hit by one of these perils, she is uh, howling and screaming as if she had never seen anyone get hit by anything in her life. Well, and then there are also two guest judges each episode. I mean, one was uh, Bruce Willis and Dummy Moore's daughter, Rumor Willis. One of them was Josh Peck. There were other people. And I, if they were dance experts or just celebrities, I don't know because they never explained why they were there to us. They no. were just there. There was a guy named Wildebeest Adams. I wanted to know his story. I would read his memoir. Memoir by Wildebeest Adams. A great title. Uh, <laughs> a judge on this show would title their memoir memoir uh, because that's about as much as they said Josh Peck was probably the most animated one that contributed the most to the actual judging of the show 
right? I think that Dylan Gould from Modern Family actually had some legitimate critiques. But for the most part, these judges were like, hey, you stood on your feet eventually. Nice work. Right. Which like the editing again, some of these episodes were eight minutes and they quickly went down to seven or six. Mm -hmm. Um, So there wasn't a lot of time to say anything because every show started out with the dance crew had a 30 minute rehearsal on the floor to sort of rehearse their routine and feel out the way the floor wobbles while the floriographer, John, Mm -hmm. not choreographer, floriographer goes, I remember Brian Friedman. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you know, just watch the edges. They get all bouncy over there. And in the last episode of the show, we find out that he was the choreographer for Britney Spears Toxic because one of the groups was dancing to Toxic. <laughs> and he's always just like, try to do something that impresses them. That's he his gets contribution. Like 15 seconds of screen time every episode, and it's mostly him shrugging and going, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, some of these, what are the different dance styles? that we get on the show, John? I would say we get a big variety between hip hop and hop hip. Um, no, <laughs> there is a lot of, <laughs> there is a lot of hip hop, but there were some nice variations. Uh, the tap group was, I think, particularly impressive because yeah. as they mentioned, tapping is already like you're dancing on ice and then you are tapping on top of a glass floor that is moving underneath you, like that makes it more difficult. Right. And then there was a tumbling group. So them just like doing their raises, their flips and their, uh, you know, them being like, I'm going to pick you up, but let's hope that my ankle doesn't break and this floor doesn't tilt so that I drop you on your face. Uh, That was really impressive that they pulled any of it off, frankly. Uh, There was a Bollywood group. Which had a great um, name, Sorry Not Sorry, the first sp- sorry right. spelled S-A-R-I. And then there was like a square dancing group. Yeah. Um, did you get the sense that some of these groups were actual dance crews and some of these groups were people that auditioned that they threw together into a dance crew? I think minute? that is 100% what happened because yes. a lot of them be- would be like, I'm Carly, I'm Kelly. And I'm Katie, and we are KKC. Good thing we missed that last one. <laughs> like, <laughs> but some of them, like, here, I wrote down a couple of these. We've got ZRG. We've got Connect3, NMN, THEM, M and M and M. Right. I was going to say, there are two crews that had plays off of M and M. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. So it all felt like they were good dancers that were brought together. And you could see some of the camaraderie between them and other times. They just felt like people that were kind of shoved together. The groups that were groups and the groups that were some dancers that had just met and had to throw on corresponding outfits and figure something out to do in 20 seconds. So This show, like, if you want to see good dancing, this is not the show to to watch because the way the floor moves, some of the people that even are very good, you can tell are unsettled by the way the floor is moving, and you can see it all over their face, and they're not their best selves. No. You could tell that they are 
disappointed in the work that they are putting in front of a camera that is going to go out to a few hundred thousand people that signed on to Quibi because they could. But at the end of every episode, there was a winner that was crowned, a winning crew. And just like those crews, we are going to give out some Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. Ian, what's your first Dunzo Award? Well, my first Dunzo Award um, has just as much acclaim as the awards given to either of these competition series, which is to say (laughs) it is an award in name. There is no cash prize. You don't get anything other than the glory of a couple people said you get this thing. I guess you could take it home if you want or dump it afterwards. Uh, Who cares? My award is the self-deprecating award, which goes to the host herself, because so many times throughout the series, she would be like, hey, we don't have money for that. Uh, Who cares? This is Quibi. Uh, And she said Quibi over and over again. And I'm like, no, 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 this isn't Quibi anymore. This is Roku. Yeah. Uh, But she would just make excuses for like how bad the production value was. (laughs) Or like she would scold the audience and be like, oh, not yet. The cameras, uh, we got to set up the cameras. You know, like it was a very weird energy coming off of her. So some people that don't host or perform a lot will bring the pre-tape meeting into the actual meeting in a way that is unflattering. Mm -hmm. And I can always tell who's a professional and who's not quite there yet based on no, we said that in the meeting, but you do not say that on air because if you say that on air, then it looks cheap. And guess what you just did to yourself in the whole show? You made it look cheap. Now everybody knows that we're arguing about money behind the scenes. Like you don't do that. She was fine enough, but uh, she has a lot farther to go than Matt or Dave have. Uh, John, what's your Dunzo Award? My Dunzo Award is the Tears of a Clown Award. And that goes to the inexplicable shot at the end of the pre-roll setup where there's a woman crying in the pit underneath the floor. So (laughs) this is a, okay, this is a tough one to explain. So at the beginning of every episode, they set up the show. You know, these dancers are going to be on a moving platform with perils headed at them. And we're going to see who stands on their feet and who gets knocked off. This is floored. And, you know, right before they would show this is floored, there was this overhead shot of this woman who is sitting in the sort of gymnastic school foam pit that was underneath this moving platform. And she was just crying and they would be like, this is floored. And it just made me think, is this show sadistic? Like, do we want to see people cry? Is that the end game that we are trying to, sort of prime people for like this is success getting people to cry on camera because they didn't do the routine that they wanted to do it was such a weird choice that i just needed to call it out in some way especially because when that woman was actually on the episode she didn't end up falling off of the floor she stayed on the whole time so why would they have her jump into this gymnastic school foam pit start crying so that they could get footage to show at the end of every sort of introduction segment of Floored. I did not understand, but you know what? 
it made me feel something. So I'll give it that. Well, John, are you going to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Would you renew? I would not renew. I don't think there's really any weight to this concept. I don't really understand how it could last six minutes or seven minutes, let alone 20, 30, or just make it beyond the pitch meeting. I think it was one of those things that somebody pitched, so you think you can dance meets Wipeout. And they were like, yeah, we'll go with that. But then when they saw it on its feet, literally, they were like, oh, this doesn't check any boxes. This is not good dancing. This is not good sort of Three Stooges-like comedy. There is no connection to any of these people because we have to move on so quickly. There just wasn't anything to sustain it in any reasonable way. So I would not renew. How about you, Ian? Would you renew? No. No. Oh, God, no. I, Like you said, I don't know what they were even trying to do here. If you wanted to watch good dancing, it wasn't there. And if you want to watch good wipeouts, these perils were so weak. Yeah. I mean, the only legitimate peril that I think was there were the streamers. The confetti. Yes. Yeah. So, the tinsel is what I called it in my yeah, notes. They called it confetti, but what it was was actually just long strands of tinsel. I mean, they would shoot these things out of a cannon and it would stay on the floor so that it would make people slip and slide more. I don't know why they didn't do that every time because that was also, generally perilous. If they were pitting two groups against each other, they wouldn't do that to both of them. They I only know, ever did it, it so to mean. one. So you were like, how can you even judge these two equally when one of them gets bumped by a very light foam music note and the other one gets completely covered in tinsel is in a what looked to be like a real dangerous situation and just it stopped everything it it wasn't like the floor or the other perils where like sometimes they'd spray stuff at them from the sides uh, it was called really a cryo blast Right. Whatever that was, too. It was just like, let's uh, spray some cold air at you for from all sides for a little bit. Like, those ones were all barely perils. This one literally ended the round. You know, like, it was Thanos snapping its finger and wiping <laughs> out the rest of your performance. This show, too, I'm just going to rant for a second. The editing of this show was absolutely insane because how can you mess up six to seven minutes of this where you're like, okay, uh, interview them in the beginning, get a little bit of good dancing, uh, watch them fall off. That's fun. You know, we do equal parts for both of the competitors. Uh, you know, get some snappy comments from the judges. Do uh, an after interview where they say something and like, boom, we're done six or seven minutes. Somehow they rushed all the editing in order to get to the substance. And when there was substance, it was like, yeah, that was fun. Or, oh, wow, that was wild. The floor moves. Like they both rushed the editing. And then when they let it breathe, there was nothing said. Like this is so bad. I think this is the worst show we've ever reviewed. <laughs> Seriously. Because it was just, I don't know what we got out of it. We didn't get good dancing except for 
out of, what were there, 12 episodes, 12 seven-minute episodes, I would say there was three minutes of good dancing. And that was because some of the groups did their job despite the show. And it wasn't equal from a competitive standpoint. It's baffling. This show was baffling, John. I can very much see that because, yeah, all you had to do was make the sort of post-show interview or post-routine interview segment an interview as opposed to the judge being like, hey, you did your best up there because that was all they could say about anything always. I oh, yeah. I felt no connection to any of these people because we didn't have any sort of time to Did you notice the last couple episodes, maybe the last five, they started giving more time to the interview segments before the cruise went on? But even then, then it like it wasn't anything. But when you have such short content, the margin there is like fives of seconds. So I didn't really notice it. It was if they did make an investment into that part of the show. It was negligible. Right. They tried to change and realized that there wasn't enough of anything to make a show with. Well, I think that can maybe speak to why competition shows didn't work on Quibi, which we'll get a little bit more into after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Ian, this is normally the part of the show where we talk about why the show was canceled. But for the next four weeks, it's the same answer. Quibi went under in December of 2020, a mere eight months after it premiered. Every show that we're going to be talking about is available on the Roku channel because Roku bought the rights to all of Quibi's shows a year later and put it on their platform. So you can watch all of these shows. So I think that this would be a good opportunity to just talk about the genre and whether it works on a short-form platform. Ian, what do you think are some of the benefits of putting a competition show on a platform like this, where you're getting a new episode every day for a couple weeks? Because that's how these shows were released. It was like two or three on the first day, and then you would get one a day during the weekdays for a couple weeks. That makes sense. I mean, that definitely could be a cool thing. Neither of these shows are the types of, uh, you know, Bachelor, Survival, whatever, where there's a group of people that you get to know better throughout. Mm -hmm. So I think that both of these shows missed the mark on what could have been something cool they could have done with their competition stuff where you get to know people better throughout the week. I think what it could have done was highlighted what one individual or one group does really well. And over the series of a week, we see the different groups for their own eight-minute segments. And then maybe by the end of it, we decide who the winner is or something like that. These competition shows, these two specifically, have very low stakes. Yeah, You know, they're both kind of, the first one's like, a joke that you win almost. 
and the second one is meaningless because the host doesn't care. <laughs> and <Thanks>. there's <laughs> there's so much of the competition that's a crapshoot that how can it actually be competitive? Yeah. Um, what about you, John? I think that there is a big difference in the sort of investment that you have in both of these shows. And the reason I think Floyd totally. missed the mark and Game Show didn't is when you have low stakes, it's nice to have people that understand that this is low stakes and can just have fun for fun's sake. And that's where I think Game Show succeeds. You also right. have a sort of built-in familiarity with these people that you are watching. You know, some of them are arguably a little bit more famous than others. You know, I know, like, Rachel Bloom has a Golden Globe. And she is one of the women who get it. But her straight, who she was partnered with, I can't remember his name. But you do have that sort of sense of familiarity that you can buy into it a little bit more. You don't need to tell the entire story of a person because of this episode on Quibi. But you do need that a little bit more if you are incorporating people where this is their first thing. You can't buy into who these people are if you don't have any sort of chance to know them on any level. And that makes the low stakes feel even lower because mm. not only are they not getting money, they are not getting any sort of spotlight to showcase who they really are. And in the, especially the case of Ford, what skills they have because their skills are being so stunted by this gimmick. Yeah, I think that goes back to what I said a minute ago, which is like, give everyone their own segment then so we can figure out reasons to care about these people. Because as it is, unless you previously cared about them, there's not enough time to care about much of anything, really. Except no. that's why we talked about the hosts with game show so much, because like they were great and we love them and they made all the difference from Floored, where it was like, I don't know who the host is, and she didn't win me over. Pretty much all she did was tell me how crappy the show was. Yeah. I think that Floored and competition shows like this on a short-form platform would work if there was that sort of tournament style that you were talking about. Like, if you don't have that familiarity with the concept, the host, the people involved in it, make us care stretch it out a little bit more, let it build to something. Because if you don't like it in episode one, you're not going to like the rest of it because it's the same thing over and over and over again. Correct. You need to have, Completely correct. if you don't feel like you have momentum, then your show isn't going to last and you're not going to be able to differentiate it in any way. Because again, the big thing for Floored was, hey, see people fall down. But you know what? These people were actually trying and I didn't really want to see them fall down even if I knew who they were. No, and as soon as it got to good dancing, it was like this piss poor effort to obstruct their dancing. The floor rarely got that crazy even. And the only time it was truly entertaining to me was when the good dance moves, which were usually hip-hop moves that kind of stayed close to the floor so that they could uh, deal with the tilting of it better, where, like, the floor would move one way and the dance move would slide with it. 
and they had cool moments. But I would have really have loved to have seen these crews impress me off the floor. Then I can want them to make it through the floor. Yes. Maybe spend a little bit more time in that rehearsal space so you could see what they would do on flat ground. And you're like, oh, that's cool. I can't wait to see how they adapt it using this gimmick. Or even like an American Idol style, watch them crush their audition. Now Mm -hmm. let's see them on the floor. Yeah. Right. All of these things could have been implemented. But again, when you've got a quibby's worth of time to do something, (laughs) you can't do it all. And it's just tough on the people that are involved in it. So if you're going to have low stakes and you're going to have a lack of ability to invest in that, that's why I say do the game show thing. Just go all in on low stakes and make them as low as humanly possible where all they get to do is walk down in a runway with a crown and smile for the camera. And they know that. Yeah. If I have one parting thought, it is that I've worked on a lot of unscripted television or I worked a lot of stand-up shows in theaters where they rent out a theater, they decorate the theater, and then they do a couple they do a couple shows, then they redecorate the theater, do a couple shows. It's like a business model where you can rinse and repeat. And both of these shows I I definitely saw they rented out a stage or somewhere for a couple of days. And they just cranked out material. Yeah. And I think it worked for game show in a way that floored was so cheap and poorly made. I saw it for exactly what it was, which is it had no support. Quibi could have put another million dollars into each of these shows and they could have been game show could have been great and floored could have been watchable. (laughs) <laughs> but they didn't. They they cheaped out, and I can see it all over both of these shows. And if they would have just given a little bit more to support, kind of like Paper Girls with Amazon situation, don't give Kevin Hart fifty million dollars. Give him forty five, <laughs> and spread out five million throughout a couple of your cheaper shows, and you will have far better products. That brings up an interesting point, though, that I think kind of was important to Quibi's content strategy is they threw a lot of money at these sort of flagship shows, some of which we'll probably get to in the coming weeks. And then they were like, Hey, we've got extra money. We still need to populate this regularly with content. Let's throw something out there and see what happens. And in the case of game show, I think they gave it to people that had a voice and that had a point of view. And what they Mm -hmm. had with the people with Floored was they had a concept. So, yeah, not everything's going to work, but at least there was a chance, a choice, something unique that was being brought to it other than, hey, let's see talented people fall down. Uh Yeah. Uh It was like, uh, let's try out an interesting concept on the cheap and see what happens. And let's not act like it's our fault when it fails. (laughs) No, it's the platform going under. But Ian, we've got three more weeks in Quibuary. The Groundhog did see its shadow, and we've got three more weeks of Quibuary. (laughs) Where could people find us? 
You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. You can email us, oneanddonepod at gmail.com, and you can tell us why Floored is an incredible competition series and why you have made your own floor in your garage so that you can practice for the inevitable reboot. Uh, you can buy yourself a Lodge Pan Scraper and Venmo me at Hamill Chin any amount of money you want. Uh, am I missing anything, John? I think that's all the self-serving that you can do. You can catch us in week two of Quibuary talking about drama shows. We'll be talking about hashtag Free Ray Sean and The Fugitive starring Kiefer Sutherland. In the meantime, keep it short, keep it sexy. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.